This is Jesse Tran. We are in several weeks deep in our pediatric series. Today we're going to discuss some acute topics um, leading from a segue of fractures. There was a discussion uh, about possible child abuse. Um, this is something kind of in my current level of training where I still find difficulties in finding the subtle hints and clues in managing this uh, diagnosis and uh further initiating the treatment. I also have Dr. Shackle, one of our esteemed faculty members here today, to help us kind of discuss and go through non-accidental trauma. Thank you, Jesse. Um, thanks for having me today. So we're going to be talking a little bit about child abuse, and this is a really big issue. Um, statistics show that 5 to 16% of kids at any time during their childhood are experiencing physical abuse. And only a small percentage of this is actually either recognized or reported. And so this is something that all of us as emergency physicians need to keep on our radar and to be aware of and to be suspicious of. All of us as emergency physicians are mandatory reporters. And what that means is that if you even suspect that something is not accurate um, or about the history or that something is going on, then you have to report to the local child protection services or whatever it's called in your state um, that you that you are suspicious of something. And um, just as a side note, if you do report something and it turns out to be investigated and not be child abuse, um, generally speaking, you are not going to be held liable for making a, a report in error. Um, you really want to just, if you have any, any inkling of suspicion, to report it. So as a, a third-year resident, um, I've only had a few handful of cases that I can count on one hand where I've actually reported to CPS. Um, some of the things we were considering is what kind of risk factors uh, bring these patients to us and what can we do to, to recognize these risk factors? Sure. This is a great question. Um, there are certainly some things that are red flags for child abuse and some things that we really think about. Kids who are more at risk for being abused are kids who are having a disability of any sort, whether physical or whether cognitive, such as autism spectrum or, or cognitive delay. Um, anybody with a congenital abnormality or who, who may be a special needs kid who needs more attention from the family and children with a psychiatric diagnosis are at higher risk for abuse. In terms of the environment, if there's an if there's any history of domestic violence or animal cruelty in the household, then those children are at higher risk for child abuse. Um, certainly family stressors, so a family going through a divorce situation or family turmoil, um, social isolation, um, and actually if there is an unrelated male male person living in the household, so like a stepbrother or a stepfather or a family friend, then those are all higher risk situations. And finally, the caregivers... Um, can put a kid at risk. So anybody who might be of a lesser education level with, and specifically with poor knowledge of child development or unrealistic expectations for the child relative to their age. Um, and oftentimes this is described as somebody who might be young and a single parent where all the stress of child rearing is placed on that person. Um, we know as well that people who abuse alcohol or substances or who have psychiatric diagnoses are at higher risk for um, perpetuating child abuse. So those are very valid points. Um, you know, the classical textbook readings we go through, Tentinalities, Rosen's, and several other resources show that, you know, 
classical pictures of certain types of injuries. How do you approach uh, uh, seeking and kind of managing uh, the physical exam portion for these types of patients? I focus on two things. First is looking for red flags within the history, and the second is red flags within the exam. In terms of the history, an important thing is when somebody comes in with an obvious traumatic injury and they deny that any trauma occurred. Or if the history doesn't make sense for the type of injury or the developmental level of the child, or the injury is blamed on the patient or another young child. Um, So that would be an example of a kid who is very young turning on the bathroom faucet and then immersing their foot in in extremely hot water and coming in with a kind of an immersion type burn or other types of things where we know that kids just don't do that or sitting down in a hot bathtub with burns on the buttocks and the parents saying, oh, they got in the bathtub and they experienced these burns, and those are really more consistent with the child trying to pull away or to resist. Um, Additionally, any delay in seeking care for the injury or any changes in the history where the parents or the caregivers are are revising um, what's been said. Um, At one point in my career, I had a family member who actually invented a person who had perpetuated the abuse on the child. And that came to light pretty easily when the police came to investigate. In terms of physical exam findings, you're looking for injuries that are not consistent with the provided history or with the developmental uh, stage of the child. So in terms of bruises, you're looking for any bruising in a child who is pre-mobile, so a kid who's not crawling or walking or learning to walk. And you're looking for bruises in areas where kids just typically don't bruise, so around the ears or the neck from being grabbed or in the buttocks or the torso region. In general, an early toddler will have some bruises, but these tend to be more on the lower legs and the shin region from learning how to walk or walking into things. You're looking for characteristic shapes, so um, bruising consistent with being struck with a belt or a cord or something that you can identify, you're looking for human bite wounds. In terms of burns, you're looking for an immersion burn type pattern, such as the kid was put into too hot water, or you're looking for cigarette burns, which tend to be very small, discrete, but very deep and painful burns. Um, with fractures, we always talk about monitoring, looking for the classic bucket, bucket handle fractures of the metaphyseal plates or rib fractures, and also looking for and an x-ray fractures in various uh, stages of healing. Long bone fractures in a non-ambulatory child are always a red flag. And again, we talked about looking for any multiple fractures. Um, finally, if you're seeing something like major head trauma without any clear provided history, then that's obviously a red flag or visceral injuries. So a child who may have been struck in the stomach or chest and who has internal injuries. So fair enough. So basically, you know, in a, observing all these injuries, it, I guess it would be very pertinent to do a very thorough head-to-toe examination, make sure for all our junior residents to remove all the clothing and inspect everything, even with the little uh, socks and shoes on, need to be removed to be thoroughly assessed. Would you say that? I would agree with you 100%. I would say that the key points when you're evaluating for child abuse is, number one, to keep it in mind so that if you think about it, you're less likely to miss it. Number two, as you said, um, do a thorough, undressed physical exam of a child that you're suspicious of and to look out for some of those risk factors in terms of the child themselves, the environment they're coming from, or the caregiver. Look for some of the red flags on the history in the exam. And then again, remember that we are all mandatory reporters, so do not be hesitant to file a CPS report if you have any concerns at all. Okay, that's almost all the time we have here today. Thank you so much for 
all those useful nuggets of information. Thank you for having me, Jesse.